Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's Drive-by Cinema episode 49. I am Rick and that white noise was white boy Paul, <laughs> my co-host. Hey, no. White boy Ricky is the name of a very famous movie. Oh, what's it about? I don't know, but he does his funky thing. It's about a about an eighties kid growing up in the boondocks. Not the boondocks, you know, in the projects somewhere. He lost in America, and uh, he becomes a bit of a wrong gun, and he gets recruited by a gang. He happens to be a black gang. Uh, he's the only white guy there, so he gets called White Boy, White White Boy Ricky. Paul, yes. Did you enjoy this weekend? Weekend of sport. Oh well, do you know what? I really don't like this, the fact that the Tour de France, and if if in the south of France, that's how you pronounce it, or the Tour de France, if you're from the north of France, and uh, and Wimbledon come at the same time every year. It's, they really need to sort that out. And now, of course, Euro football together, it was it was a triclasm, a triclasm of sporting finery, wasn't it? And I didn't know where to look or what to watch. So so no, I, did, I did enjoy what I watched, but I, was, I didn't enjoy the uh, cognitive overload having to cho- choose and having to navigate and and uh, meta-organise my, my watching schedule. How about you, Richard? It was a poverty of riches. They could combine the sports, couldn't poverty they? Poverty of riches. Kind riches. Of like a triathlon style. Triathlon, you, yes. You could put all the players on bikes with tennis rackets, couldn't they? They'd have to <laughs> whack the ball into the net. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> like rollerblade. Roller derby is... I've just bought some roller skates, actually. Uh, so I can... Whip down the prom in 1980s style with my, with my glowing. Well, you could join a roller derby team, couldn't you? I pastel mean, shorts and whatnot. But roller derby is like an aggressive sport where they knock each other off over, isn't it? Fairly aggressive. So yeah, it's you need a special. It's, it's you need a roller. What was roller ball. Roller ball. Now that's a great movie. So is they shoot horses, don't they? Which is about marathon dancing, uh, and quite similar roller ball, really. I think to roller ball in some respects. Apart from the horses. You'd need a roller derby name, wouldn't you? They have special they names. They do have special names. It's mostly female sport, uh, and they tend to... It's like one area where we really see females get into like, role play, in a way that males quite happily do in many aspects of life. So it's interesting, I think, as a sport. But to get back to this weekend, I mean, my sympathies, my, my main sympathy lies with the Tour de France. And uh, that's been disappointing, because it's been a one-man race. Uh just but we are in the Pyrenees at the moment, which is the, the better part of the mountain stages compared to the Alps, I think. Uh, so that's been good. Wimbledon, I made quite a lot of money on in terms of betting. Uh, football, I lost quite a lot of money in terms of betting. Uh, I kind of knew that Italy were going to win, but I never suspected a full-time draw. So I lost a lot of money on that. Uh, but not as much as I went on the, on, the, on the tennis. I've done really well on the tennis betting. Good. Thank you. Thanks. For Sports Corner. <laughs> back, to, <laughs> back to the cinema now. But do we have any corrections, Paul? I'm oh, sure you were yeah. chatting on Discord with Alistair about something. Right? <sighs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I was corrected by Adam, mm-hmm. who made the point that we may have given the impression... That we're small-minded. That Harmony Corrin had directed kids. Uh, he didn't. He just wrote it. He just wrote it. Yeah, It was actually directed by... I don't know. Somebody else. <laughs> well, it's almost documentary, isn't it? It's what you call a docudrama these days, isn't it? Kids. Yeah. It's a, it's a very long time since I've seen it. Good movie, though. I think, it, you know, that kind of... It, at the time, it inspired a lot of artwork. You know, it's it. You know, influential art is influential because advertisers start copying it. You know, I think a lot of Calvin Klein underwear... Took its inspiration from kids. Wasn't it black and white kids? I'm sure it was. I don't think so. It wasn't. I, I think Skins presumably owes a lot of its. its yes, Skins owes everything to it, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good observation. That kind of stuff, you know. Well, it's time to hit the mean streets of Las Vegas now. Because that's where we're we, going, yeah. We journey into Zack Snyder's. Yes. Army of the Dead. Now, Zack Snyder's a big name, but what has he done, Richard? Sorry to put you on the spot here, because I don't know what he's done. Hang on, I'm waiting for the music. Zack Snyder, Paul, has done all kinds of things. 
in the sort of superhero genre. Especially. Oh, thank you. Yes, that's where I know his name. Yes, 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 yes. He did the adaptation, the film adaptation of Watchmen. Alan Moore's opus. Too much acclaim, but very little box office office success, yeah. Well, of course, uh, Alan Moore sort of disowns all film adaptations (laughs) of his work. (laughs) Zack Snyder also uh, recently did the Justice League sort of director's reshoot thing, didn't he? Okay, what are we watching tonight, Richard? We're watching the newly released Netflix film... Army of the Dead yeah. by Zack Snyder. 2021. And my gosh, do you know how much money was spent on this thing? No, a lot. 70 to 90 million pound, uh, dollars. So, you know, it's as big as a big studio release. Well, Netflix are now the big studio, aren't they? So Snyder did, back in 2004, Thank you, he yeah. did Dawn of the Dead. He did. Which in Another itself zombie. is a remake of... Ah, of a classic... George Romero, George A. Romero horror film. Dawn Called Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. Zombie movies. We've done horror for a bit now, Paul, for about 20 episodes, but we haven't done any zombie no, movies. No, well, I'd love we? to do zombie because I love zombie movies, all of them, particularly the comedy ones. But zombie movies usually have a particular thing going on, right? I mean, well, I think... Often the, they often have a, a, you know, a wise-cracking comic element, even the serious ones, don't they? But apart from that... But they're also so the the zombies represent something. Ah, I mean, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Was it a Romero? One of the Romero sequence of films where they're in a shopping mall. They see all of the dead coming to the shopping mall and trying to get in. That's uh, well. I mean, that's 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 a really common trope in all zombie movies. I think, isn't it? Shopping mall and and and, and wandering people with no brain. And they say they describe it as having kind of a vestigial memory of. Actions they used to do when they were alive. So. <laughs> well, we'll get we'll get to that. Some of the some of the zombie mythologies that's assumed to be true and not true in this movie is quite interesting. But well, it's it was a th- it was a comment on capitalism, wasn't it? You know that shoppers, consumers, are zombies, mindless yes. consumers, yeah. going around and buying things in the shops, and and I think zombies are often they're often uh, a stand-in um a, a token a cipher for something else the gothic seaside novel of the 19th century in britain i, I think it has real parallels because i was i had an idea for a novel or a screenplay recently and i was trying to base it on on the seaside and it was going to involve some supernatural elements uh and so i i look back to the gothic novels of the british seaside from the from two centuries ago and you know, often it's at the time we were at war with France, and you know that liminal area of the sea was often a very, a, a, a very powerful metaphor for 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 the pernicious effects of foreigners and outsiders. You can't accept that or not accept it, but I think that okay. kind of strong resonance with outsiders. I mean, look at Dracula. You know, he arrives. Is it on a floating coffin? Oh, he arrives on a fish, fish on a trawler ship to Scarborough, does he? Yeah, a ship rather than a floating coffin. Yeah, I, can't I don't remember. think he's paddling his coffin across, across the English Channel. I'm sorry, I thought he might have got dislodged off the boat or something. Like a coracle. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, the obvious idea of the sea bringing in the outside kind of thing, and I think it, these zombie movies have have certain parallels in that they always represent something. But I'm, I don't think this represents outsiders. What does it represent? Is it societal decay, Richard? What is it? How is your novel coming along, Paul? It's not. I couldn't find the voice for one of my main protagonists. Ah. Uh, do you want details? I think I've told you this before. I think you want me to share a first draft of it or something. I can, <laughs> I can workshop. You're laughing at me now. No, I'm right. not. You are. I could workshop the uh, the main character's voice with you, you know. I could. No, it's not that. It's just I got embarrassed doing it because, you know, he's... he's, he's He's not just alt right. He's a violently racist Canadian, and so I was, I was is, getting his. Is it too autobiographical? Is that the? Is that where? <laughs> no, no. So it's Judy's voice in the gym, kind of thing. And people, I think people put complaints in. You know, I have my headphones on, kind of thing. Uh, I'll try to write it as as I was working out, and yeah, I really disturbed some people. If you're in Blackpool, the gym at the time, I'm really sorry if I spoil your day. I um, imagine that uh, a publisher can spot a book that's been written in the gym by <laughs> dictating no, memo notes. <laughs> so I'm well, typified by some kind of aggressive muscular aggression all through the... 
I'll do the piece. Well, no, he was supposed to be like a long lost relative of either Charlie Chaplin, or I think I've told you this, Charlie Chaplin, or or, or Stan Laurel, and was coming back to the homeland, and it was going to be a seaside jaunt with gothic elements to it. So yeah, because I thought there's some nice symmetry in that Charlie Chaplin did uh, a, a movie called The King in New York or something, which is about a deposed leader from another country coming to New York, and with his grandson, the king comes with his grandson or great-grandson. So I thought there were symmetries there to be exploited. But in the end, nothing ever came of it, Richard. Oh, well. Let's rattle through an explanation of the plot of this film. <sighs> of this zombie clips or zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Okay, well, do you want, can I go first? Okay. And you can stop me saying, huh, Paul? You're going to backtrack on that. Okay. Right, it's Armies of the Dead. And it's basically a synopsis. Brief synopsis would be: it tells you what Marilyn Manson is up to these days. Is that not right? <laughs> Are you saying Zeus is Marilyn? Yeah, Manson? yeah. Well, who is Zeus? We first have to explain that at the start of the Whoa, movie. Whoa! Yeah, gosh, wow. A military convoy driving down the tumbleweed highway outside From? of Area Fifty One to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. They're delivering a special cargo. Well, we don't know where they're going. Are they they're going not to paying base? attention to the road because they're discussing what could be the cargo, what could be our payload. Do you think it's an alien? They take some time to sort of suggest that to each other, don't they? They're not the brightest grunts, I don't think. Meanwhile, coming the other way, cut, Just married. coming the other way, a, a newly married Vegas couple. They're not paying wife. attention. You know, anything, no. you know, a tire could, well, there could be a big blowout on the highway, couldn't there? She's giving him a blowjob. Oh. Oh. You not, oh, you missed that. Well, I thought some detail. sort of blowout going to happen. I mean, <laughs> well, I was thinking that you know some modern cars now, like some of the BMWs and Mercedes, can steer themselves. They have lane departure warnings. But they they don't just the... not just warnings. They will steer back into the lane. They my, will steer back. My yeah. Toyota Yaris does that. Your Toyota Yaris has lane departure. It has lane steer back in departure, and cruise control in a Yaris. You slip it on cruise control. You you slip on the anti skidding. You slip on the uh, lane lane beepy thing, and yeah, it just if you're on the motorway, it will not let you leave the lane. I mean, you can override it, but you'll feel it steer back in, kind of thing. Wow! So you it. can give blowjobs to your heart's content. Well, I can't because <laughs> I mean, it was only rental, but <laughs> but for three short sweet weeks, I I I had a glimmer. You know, I was at the foothills of what a Tesla might be. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, people have got in the back seat of their Tesla while they've been driving. Though they shouldn't do that. They should not do that, and some of them have died. So there we are. So coming the other way, uh, the newlyweds, and they're not paying attention because she's giving him a blowjob. And guess what? It all explodes. And really, you know, for 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 really well protected army vehicles, they explode quite easily, don't they? These big trucks. I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, these days when they travel, when they transport nuclear <laughs> materials. In a pod that can be hit by a jet fighter or crashed yeah. into a concrete block, the fact that they hit somebody's car and the special holding cell pops open—it's a bit of a design flaw, really, isn't it? So we hear some grunts and some growls, and pretty soon it's—it's—it's it's, it's obvious that this is a superhuman, and he sprints and he can dodge bullets, and he's faster than light, and he kind of eats and kills all the uh, all the soldiers. All the soldiers heads off over the horizon to Las Vegas, where he. Promptly, we assume kills or, or infects the whole population basically, so they have to close the city down and and, uh, and barricade. What we get now is a Zack Snyder director trademark montage ah. over the opening sequence, over the opening credits, and we see all of our characters struggling to survive in an increasingly zombie filled Las Vegas, and the military are flying F 35s in and bombing the place. Eventually, what they do is they surround the entire city with a wall of TEUs. Do you know what a TEU is, Paul? Uh, is this multiple choice? or No, I don't. It stands for 20-foot equivalent unit, which is the name for a container. I see. So they're clear that the zombies inside because they can't climb properly. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is my first problem. Later on in the movie, we see a tiger, a zombie tiger. And he's yes. he's so nimble. Right. And then we see a zombie horse. Yes. And he's not like 
licking grass continuously whenever he sees grass, is he? You know, he's he's like he's just like a horse. And right. I, I didn't really understand that because I don't think it's ever been in terms, in terms of zombie lore evidence before is zombie animals and how would they behave. But I mean, really, they were just like their animals behaved, just as lithe and 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 and, and nimble, but had gory bits sticking out of them. I wasn't really convinced by either of those animals. I'm sorry, zombie animals, zombified animals. But it's one of the clever things he's doing, isn't it, with the movie? Is one reason I think zombies are a popular horror form is you just put some gory makeup on some extras and get them to shamble around, and you got yourself an alarming horde of monsters, don't you? Yeah, kind of cheap. It is kind of cheap. Whereas nowadays with CGI, you can make a horse or a tiger look like a zombie rotting animal, and the, the true, audience true. has never seen it before, really. It's quite, so it's quite a spectacle. So you were saying Zeus was the guy that escaped from the from the container vessel. He takes that name, doesn't he? Because he sees a statue of Zeus in front of the Olympus uh, right. Hotel. Understand. And he's pretty fast at the end of the movie because he catches up with a helicopter and that kind of thing. But he doesn't dodge bullets at the end, does he? And he doesn't like go faster than light at the end. He becomes quite filmable towards the end. And that was a problem I had in terms of continuity of characterization is he's still like you know the leader but he's more like you know mad max tooth necklace wearing kind of savage leader rather than the supernatural super soldier super zombie soldier that he was at the beginning of the movie fair criticism yes mm. but let's get back to the, the plot yes because now as we click back into normal time we're in a world where las vegas is completely walled off a prison city and you can't get in or out, and there are military guys around the perimeter, and there's also refugee camps where the still-living humans who used to live in and around the Las Vegas area, which is one of the fastest-growing cities in the United States, or used to be, anyway, which is a problem because they don't really have enough water, surprisingly. They're in the middle of the desert. But there's a refugee camp now where all of the people are huddled living in camps. Is that inside the city container walls? No, it's just outside. Oh, it's just outside. The the okay. yeah. See, I thought it might be like a Berlin, West Berlin kind of thing, but it's not. It's outside the city walls. Okay. It's outside the city walls, but because the people have got you know, no prospects and no money, no assets, they're in dire straits, it looks like they're going to be shipped off to another government facility. They'll often forage into the city, yeah? Yeah, they go off. They get guides who seem to be called coyotes, rather like the Mexicans who get people across the border, take them into the city... Uh, where they can get cash, I guess, out of fruit machines. I think the idea is they smack, ah. smash fruit machines open and hoof it away with the cash from the casinos. Q, our major plot line, uh, appears Tanaka, who is a Japanese. He's a Japanese casino owner, yeah? Now, he has a plan, a plan for a heist. But it's time limited. It's time limited because the government have decided <laughs> that now they are going to bomb Las Vegas with a nuclear bomb. Get rid of all the zombies in one go. So his money's going to go up in smoke, quite literally. So we need to get it out of there. Do you find this far-fetched, Paul? Because I don't find this far-fetched. I mean, they do test nuclear bombs in Nevada. Well, they used to. It was a specific kind of nuclear bomb. Like, non what was the phrase for it? Non-critical or or a non... I don't know. It's a controlled nuclear explosion that's not going to end the world kind of thing. Very humane. But the point is, it's time limited. (laughs) His money's going to go up in smoke or melt, it melts, and he's got to get it out there. And he says it's brilliant because because of all the stuff that's going on in there and because they're about to launch a nuclear bomb, security's going to be kind of down. We can get in there and get out, get the money, and retire, make our fortunes. And so he's, you know, he's recruiting a team. He's recruiting a crew to the heist and, you know, saying, and your split is 50 million among yourselves, however you see fit kind of thing. Wow. Everybody's Paul, it's it. better than that. It's better than that. And... As a gambling man uh, and a shrewd investor, I thought you would have picked up on the brilliance of the scheme. He says that the money is insured and has already been paid yes. on insurance. Yes. So it's free money. They get it's that free out. Money, yeah. Yeah. And they're all rich. He assembles a team, a motley crew, if ever there yeah. was one. And, and these, these characters are, I would say, significantly deeper. Than the one-dimensional characters you might have seen in the 1990s. Oh, I think first-person so, yeah. shooter on the on a computer game. <laughs> but only, you, no, just, but only just, only <laughs> just. Well, you know, 
I think this movie is very much like a computer game. My thought was, it, are Netflix now setting themselves up for a franchise of video games? Because this would, I think this is almost like the movie you make after it, after a movie, after a successful computer game, but made before kind of thing. Is it setting itself yeah, up for a computer it's, release? It's like watching release, an extended obviously. game of Left 4 Dead. Have you ever played Left 4 Dead? No, but I've seen it, yeah. yeah. It's a very boiled down experience where you're fighting zombies. You've got to get through the level of zombies. You've got a team of four players fighting against... Well, you can play against other humans, but it can also just be a horde of computer-controlled zombies. And you felt there was real strong similarities here. Very much so. This is really like Left 4 Dead on, <laughs> in a movie. Which is actually no bad thing. No. Uh, the other thing, <laughs> my other thought about Netflix and their motivations for making these movies, Netflix doesn't carry adverts at all. So why do they have to make this in 2020? They don't have to justify such a slow pace. I, I just found it achingly slow, particularly the beginning. It is quite long. Yeah. <sighs> Hell yeah. But I don't think it dragged, really. This, it, okay. it really hums along. Did you find it? Did you find it Once it got going, it was okay. But I did find the first 30 minutes... Uh, torturously slow and I just wonder yeah. why they wanted to make 2020 when it could have been fit into 1 hour 50 because they're not getting any advertising revenue from the extra time are they they're not selling our bums to you know, and our minds to, to, to pizza companies are they so the team is led by Dave Bautista's Scott Ward I'm glad you wrote that down <laughs> he goes around recruiting a bunch of other people including Vanderhoe and a helicopter pilot, Marianne Peters, and a bunch of other people. A safe, a German safe cracker called Ludwig. And they're all street-wisened, as if John Connor from The Terminator had grown up and become adults, kind of thing. They've all seen stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he knows they can all handle themselves, yeah. Except Apart for Ludwig, from, yeah. the safe cracker. Safe cracker. Who they're going to look after to make sure he gets to the safe. No He's comically so. wimpy, isn't he? And they have your classic heist movie little model... Uh, of the Las Vegas area with the casinos. Now, they've had to make up casinos in Las Vegas. So the Olympus, I presume, is supposed to be Caesar's Palace or, you know, maybe the Venetian or something. And then the one they actually actually go into, I can't remember what it was called, but it's got two towers, hasn't it? One of them's called Sodom and one, one of them's called Gomorrah. <laughs> so they jump over the container vessels in their head and they've got a local guide who's some sort Coyote of... Coyote comes with them. Yeah, yeah. She's pretty cool. Who foraged and forayed into there before and, and tells them, hey, there's two kinds of zombies. There's alphas and there's the stumblers, or I don't know what she calls them, the, the shamblers. shamblers. Yeah. yeah. Those are standard zombies. But here we've got a new zombie law, which is they're actually really intelligent, active alpha zombies who are there, you know, in the turrets of the casinos, checking out the actions of humans and, and planning their attacks. Yeah. Which is something new. And it's needed because... Zeus, apparently, he chooses to infect people personally. They become alphas. And then, when alphas bite, they just create ordinary zombies. And when zombies bite, they just create ordinary zombies. Would that be right? Yeah. It's the thinking behind it all. Now, this is billed as a heist movie, but it's not a very clever, clever heist movie, is it? They find Well, they find the, the safe pretty quickly, don't they? The plan is to go to the safe, open the safe, get the money, and get out. then go to the top of the heli- of the hotel. Yeah, sorry, and fly out. Yeah. Where there's an abandoned helicopter, the uh, helicopter pilot pilots them out. Never happens like that, though, does it? It doesn't quite happen like that. For one thing, one member of the team is a kind of snake. Yeah. The Japanese business guy has sent with them one of his security guys, and he has ulterior motives. It seems the real mission for him is to get the head of the alpha zombie's girlfriend. The queen, yeah. The queen of the zombies, as it were. And take it back to bargain with, or something like that, is that right? Well, I think the idea is that the alpha zombies are a weapon, aren't they? That's why at the start of the film they were transporting Zeus, the ultimate alpha zombie, because they were obviously going to use him in part of a military Ah, deployment of some kind, weren't they? We've seen those kind of movies before, haven't we? The, The ultimate soldier. Yes, exactly. It's why they were after the alien in Aliens, wasn't it? Yes. 
that's his ulterior motive. He doesn't care whether they get out. He just wants to get out with the head. And in fact, he obstructs them. He causes the first death, doesn't he? You know, there's, there, apparently zombies hibernate and you don't shine light in their faces and don't, don't get them wet. If they're dehydrated, they'll sleep and they have to crawl through these sleeping zombies. And he, does he intentionally wake them up? And, and so the first of our team members have to sacrifice herself uh, in order for the others to progress. They all wake up and they're about to head towards most of the team that have got through the zombie forest. Uh, she's stuck in the middle because of this, uh, because of the snakish actions of this uh, double crosser. Um, but she's got fuel on her back. And so one of her teammates sacrifices she's been bitten to death by, by, or being zombified. And uh, of course, uh, she and all the zombies explode. Now I've blown up as a kid. I've blown up tongue in cans. Cow tongue. And it, it, it's wonderful to be spattered by hot cow, cow tongue. But it left me thinking, you know, what would we like to be spattered by, by, by disintegrating zombies? How did you explode cans of cow tongue? Well, the obvious way, you put them on a bonfire and wait for them to go pop. And it's like, it's a low thuddy pop plop. It's a ploppy steamy thuddy plop. <laughs> and it kind of spatters out like, like napalm and sticks to your skin kind of thing. It's wonderful. <laughs> It's got that stench to it, you know. I don't know if you've ever eaten cow tongue. It's the kind of grandma food, isn't it? But I do remember being served. Uh, have you eaten tripe? No. Oh, well, it's that kind of food, cow tongue. But yeah, it just it comes out with a wonderful thuddy pl- pl- ploppy pop, and then you're up in the sky <laughs> like a firework fountain of, of, of molten meat. Yeah. Like a beached whale being detonated yes. by explosives. <laughs> yes, but that's pongy. So, so then, okay, they get through that. Pretty s- well, can I just Hold say? On. Oh, no, we've missed an important element of the plot. We have. We're at. The, we get to the safe almost immediately. Uh, when it when they went into Las Vegas through yeah. the refugee camp, Scott Ward meets his daughter, who's working there as a volunteer, and she's frantic because. Two or three of the women that she was helping to look after went into Vegas just the day before. Sure. And so she insists on coming with them. She wants to come with them because she hopes to be able to find them still alive in Vegas. Bleeding hearts. They do find their way down to the vault in the casino. There's a little bit of fighting. A few zombies are getting shot here and there. Not all that much, actually. They're quite restrained early on with the zombie fighting. But uh, most of it is sneaking around, isn't it? Until, until that one woman gets shot, and then they all wake up. But they make their way down to the safe, and eventually, Ludwig gets the safe open. Ah, uh-huh. now they do this not by crash test dummies, but by crash test zombies. They realise that it's booby trapped, and so they lure a zombie to walk across the booby traps by heating up a zombie hand in the microwave and throwing it at the safe. And the zombies apparently work out now. It's new zombie law: is that zombies don't actually smell you; they feel your heat. And he just goes for the hot hand and walks through all the booby traps and, and, and you know neutralizes the defenses of the safe. Ah, uh, yeah. Did you notice early on? There's a bit of COVID stuff going, isn't isn't there? Because they check for whether or not you might be infected by using a temperature gun on you. <laughs> but they're looking for if you are colder, colder yeah. than normal. Because obviously that means you're dead or dying and you're going to become a zombie. Anyway, so just before, Richard, you get to the safe opening when you want to. But let me just say, at this point, everything goes, it stops being a zombie movie and it stops being a heist movie. It becomes this weird sort of horror groundhog day. They start saying, we're stuck in a time loop, in the middle of a time loop, and Tanaka has set us to go in there to the safe to restart our failure again. (laughs) And they never really pursued that, did they? That comes out of nowhere. But it disappears again. What's, what's happening there is this, three of the team are down in the vault area trying to get it open. It's Ludwig and Vanderhorn, the, the black guy who's got that angle grinder that he uses. And one of the other guys as well is down there. And Vanderhorn, I think he's trying to freak Ludwig out at one point. Yeah. And there's bodies down on the ground. Sort of, and they're all rotted, just skeletal remains you can't see their faces just skulls and stuff bleached bone kind of thing Ludwig is saying this other team they tried to get in the safe they tried to cut their way in he's, they've got an acetylene torch or something you know he obviously doesn't think much of them because he's going to crack the safe and get in and he thinks that's a better idea 
Apparently, this safe is a legendary safe in locksmith and safe-cracking circles, so he's really excited to have a go at it. But Vanderhorn is pointing at these dead bodies, and he comes up like out of nowhere with this time loop theory. It's been all over the internet since that everyone's looking at this as a potential time loop, you know, extra story or a, a wrinkle or, you know, there might be sequels to this that Zack Snyder oh, No, hell, please. And, you know, they do focus in a little bit on those bodies on the ground. And one of them has got a little key around the neck. And that's see. like, that's exactly the same key that Scott's friend, the uh, lady friend, is wearing. One of them has got a red bandana, which is the same thing that Scott himself is wearing. And one of them has got a Hawaiian shirt, which is exactly like Tignatero's pilot is wearing. Except these people all escape from the safe room, and we see them later it, on. So, so it can't be infinitely recurring, can it? No, the idea seems to be that they're in some kind of loop where they keep going in and dying getting a bit further each time. But for the purposes of the duration of this movie, this is just a throwaway dead end, isn't it, in, in, in plot terms? It seems to be. Although there are a couple of other weird things that aren't totally explained, which some people have said suggests that you're looking at one time loop or another from time to time. Okay. I'm yeah. a little bit bored. Yeah. It doesn't need to be in this film. Yeah. It's a distraction. And we, it's possible not to notice with the great special effects that are going on. So. And the action, which yeah. is virtually continuous from this point in. Well, speaking of great special effects, here's a thing I'm wondering whether you know about this film, Paul. Uh-huh. Did you know that one of the actors who they filmed was fired and they replaced them digitally with a I different... I didn't know that, no. Are they allowed to do so that in the contract? Which, which character do you think was the digital replacement? Whoa. I don't know. Go on, hit me with it. It was the pilot. I was going to say the pilot. Yeah. Why was she fired? No, no, no. she was the replacement. Obviously, oh. that's who you're seeing. She replaced some bloke who was fired for some. I think he was me doing too. Some kind of sexual har- oh, okay. harassment thing. Yeah. Or was it, was it was claimed he did something horrible? Allegedly, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but good work, eh? You do, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. No, if I didn't know. Where are we? Yes, so they they do manage to get to the money. But by this time, of course, Zeus, the super alpha zombie, is all over them. And he's killing them left, right and centre. Now, when does he discover that they've got his queen? When do they take his queen? After they got the money? The nasty guy, the security guy and the coyote went off. Already decapitated her. They'd already captured and decapitated her. She's a zombie, her head's still moving. Well, she's an alpha zombie. Her head's really still moving. She's not too pleased with him for doing it and gets her own back later by replacing the head with a typewriter in the bag. So what, what he thinks, he thinks he's got a head, but he hasn't really. So, you know, Zeus is commanding, uh, commanding, commanding his troops like, a, like, uh, like some sort of uh, steampunk uh, savage leader from a sequel to Mad Max. It all gets a bit cannibalistic and whatnot and, well, they're zombies. But, so, I mean, the thing is about... Alpha zombies is... They're a whole new kettle of fish, aren't they? I mean, we've never seen alpha zombies before, have we, in the zombie-verse? That's not totally true. Is it not? Zombies oh. used to be slow, shambling, you know, half-dead things, didn't they, in mm. zombie tradition. But in uh, Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later, yeah, the zombies were really fast. They were ravening, crazed creatures. And, you know, I th- so I think zombies have played a little bit loose with the qualities of the zombies. But yeah, this has an entirely different m- sort of mythology and hierarchy of the zombies. But anyway, so it all kicks off. There's a bit of rubble rousing and his horde surrounds our heroes. And we kind of get, well, I thought it was a fashion showdown. We've got like skateboarders gone rogue and uh, without any makeup fighting Brazilian jiu-jitsu bike, bike couriers. You know, there's two def- <laughs> definite fashion styles between the two teams here. And, yeah, the zombies are all pretty skateboardery. You know, the alpha zombies. They're all kind of dressed low-key. And, uh, yeah, it's a big fight. And people blow up and that kind of stuff. And there's a big sort of uh, finale on a rooftop, isn't there? Where they're holding off Zeus by, you know, by holding the Medusa-like head of, of his queen 
as some sort of bait or some sort of bargaining tool. Because yeah, he's discovered right. that uh, the, uh, this is a new mythology for zombies, is the zombie baby she was carrying for him, you know, has has, has not come to term. Well, he does get it out, out of the body, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Mean, so yeah. maybe it's fine. I don't know. I think it's he's pretty angry. Table. He's pretty angry. He's not happy. No, let me tell you why I think zombies are quite a popular uh, subject. Yeah, have we got there yet? We've got there. Okay, so here comes the moment. Go on, Rich. Americans do love their gun porn, right? They want a film where the characters are wielding guns and shooting them every which way. Ah. It's a big part of the American psyche. Yeah. And if you're going to have a gun porn movie, you've got to shoot something. And shooting a lot of things is quite problematic. Yeah. Even even for the most radical gun-using, gun-toting American. Even squirrels, yeah. So being able to have hundreds and hundreds of defenseless human-like <laughs> creatures to be able to shoot willy-nilly, I think is really a really useful thing for your gun porn. I see. And I think that's what's going on, because there's a sequence, isn't it, early on, where all the characters go and get their weapons they, you know, they open their special cupboard or whatever, and they get out the guns that they're going to take with them. And they all tool up. Van, Van der Ho, the black guy, he digs up a barrel. I don't know why he's buried his stuff. He digs up a barrel somewhere in the desert, and he heaves it out of the ground. For some reason, spins it round. I don't know why. It's a circular barrel. And then he opens it up. I think it's got his angle grinder saw in it. <laughs> and his guns as well. He's also got guns, no, no question. And even Ludwig gets into the gun thing, doesn't he? They give him a pistol and he starts shooting zombies and get quite getting quite excited about it. I think, you know, it speaks to that bit of the American psyche that is in love with its guns. Do you understand the gun thing, Paul? No. Have you ever held a gun? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I mean, right. I used to shoot them quite a lot. Oh, you see, Yeah, your dad, your dad had guns, didn't he? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. But that's a shotgun, isn't it? It's no, a, I mean, he, he he had rifles oh. and shotguns and handguns too. He did? Handguns? Yeah. What did your dad have a handgun for? I forgot the name. Smith & Wesson. Revolver? He had a revolver? Yeah. You see that thuddy noise when you shoot him. And uh, he had a beautiful shotgun. Scott Webley, I think it was called. With uh, I do love guns, actually. With the... Uh... <laughs> oh, God. It's so long since I've talked about stock. guns. Stock. No. You know, the Stock. It's a it's the woodwork also on the shotguns that is just exquisite, you know. As as it's a pieces, not of art, but as, as beautiful objects, they are genuinely, you know, very well very well crafted and very expensive to go with it too. I seem to remember I he agree. paid he yeah. paid two thousand five hundred pounds for his for his best shotgun, and that was in nineteen eighty two or something like that. So you know, ten grand these days at least. It's a lot of money to pay for a gun, you know. It seems to me though that. You're right. Guns are kind of beautiful. They are kind mm. of sexy. We've all grown up in a you know a media environment that makes us think of them that way. And you grew up, obviously, brandishing them. Yes. Yeah. The thing is, though, no, th- in- no, no connection to why I went to live in Spain for two years. By the way. Anyway, sorry. Continue. <laughs> the thing is, though, <laughs> in the same uh, way, you know, no, really, no connection. Think about a gun. In the same way, you know, I'm writing a gothic. Well, I'm trying to write a gothic novel about a Canadian fascist. No relation there. No, there isn't in either of those circumstances. Because Richard, in the latter case, suggests there was a connection. There's not. Anyway, Richard, continue. Can I just deny both those things without making it sound like I'm denied because it's true? Thing about a gun is, you never want to use it. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, Unless you're going out sports shooting. The last oh, thing you in mean. the world you want yeah. to do is to actually shoot somebody with it. Well, it depends on the level of threat of the thing that you're shooting. Like clay pigeons, obviously, not very threatening. Not so threatening, I think you can want yeah. to do that. That's fine, yeah. Shooting fowl, again, not very threatening. Although, you know, I do agree with people who are anti-gun sport for gun sport's sakes. If you're not going to eat a partridge, I really don't think you should be shooting under no circumstances. And I don't think you should be shooting partridges, really, because often you miss. And but it's rare that they get away injured. But you know, there's a good, there's a good thirty seconds before if you really miss on on you know on two shots, it's a good thirty seconds before you or your partner's gonna 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 knock it down again. So, I mean, generally, I don't agree with. I just certainly agree agree with shooting wildlife for sport. But I, I also don't really agree with it for you know, eat, shooting them for, for for sustenance either. 
these days. Although I used to. However, you know, as rodent control, sometimes it's the only thing you can do. You know, if you're infested with rats, it's 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 more humane than poisoning them. So. Well, you're coming from it, coming at it from a very animal control angle. Mm. Perhaps that's uh, from a, a farming kind of background. Yes, maybe. that's understandable and different from, say, a Glock or other kind of handgun you might keep under your pillow, whose sole purpose is to kill human beings. Really? Yeah, sure. I'm usually the person that's sleeping on it. <laughs> There's just a number exactly. of accidents, you know. People exactly. Put it, don't put, if you're going to do that, don't put it under your pillow. Don't hang it like they, people construct these hanging areas at the top of their mattress. As you dig it in there, it's going to go off. Do you know what I mean? If you dig it between mattresses to to get it out, it's just going to go off. And there's very few circumstances you can imagine where having a gun is going to be advantageous to you. And sure, it's usually for intruders, but often, therefore, it you know when 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 marital rows get big and get nasty. In the heat of the moment, somebody reaches for the gun also. That's the second thing, you know, apart from shooting yourself in the head while you're sleeping. The other thing is using Or changing it. your bed sheets. Or changing your bed sheets. <laughs> or somebody changing your bed sheets that you've not told you've got a gun, loaded gun under there with. Uh, the second thing is, you know, is marital strife. It's used in the heat of the moment kind of thing. The third thing is, you know, opportunities for suicide. You know, people have these guns for defence and then two bottles of whiskey yeah. later... Suddenly, it's it's an easy way out, kind of thing. It's a single, you know, fraction of an inch on the finger, and that's it, all over. Look, as as far as intruders go, Paul, if you live in a society where guns are commonplace, you can't be a home intruder without a gun. So, intruder will already have a gun, and uh, he's not asleep, and I'm, you're I'm asleep. Not sh- well, it depends how much time he wants to do, doesn't it? Because if you're breaking, no, if you're breaking into because, a home. With a gun. If you live in America and you're entitled to carry weapons, then what does it matter if you? Well, it does. It, it does matter if you're going in. Entitled to carry means you know to carry on the street, either visible or, or not visible. I'm not sure what the laws are about that, but it, it simply means to carry. It doesn't mean to to enter somebody else's property without the permission. Carrying no, a gun sure, that's already illegal. I'm not suggesting that, of course. But there's, there's the a different is, level of intent. If, if, if you're going into breaking into somebody's house with a gun, there's clearly a different level of, of malice and intent on your part than breaking in without a gun, isn't there? I'm saying if you were a thief or someone driven to burglary in the United States, you would have to arm yourself because yeah. of the castle doctrine that knocks around, wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah. You'd, you'd be crazy not to. Well, yeah. So and they fire they fire salt pellets at the kids stepping on their lawn, don't they? So exactly. So you've raised the stakes by making guns so readily available, and you there's no real conceivable situation where the gun would give you an advantage. True. You're always going to be second. You're always going to be second to the gun, right? A criminal is always going to be brandishing the gun first. That's why. That's that's I'm, what they're I'm, doing. I'm more willing to use it, yeah. yeah. And more willing to use it, yeah, yeah. And so, all you're doing is sort of guaranteeing an armed response against yourself, and of course, guaranteeing that if police show up, that they won't know who the bad guy is. True. Um, and so then just better, the, just a better, a better defense is, uh, you know, have a, a sophisticated electrical circuit mechanism in your house where you can electrify whole, whole, whole rooms that you're not stood in, and you know the uh, the uh, burglars aren't just frazzle them to death. Right. Okay. I mean, on the other hand, Paul, if they're only after property, then I'm not sure that killing them or electrocuting them is warranted. <laughs> it's perfectly legal in the United States. I think you have to have a sign saying, do not come in this room, you'll be electrocuted. But if it's, you know. Paul, were you totally convinced by the heist plan that they had? Not entirely. And it was obvious that something was going to go wrong. Most of the helicopter, I mean, we get we get these uh, telegraph moments where, you know, we see the helicopter sput, 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 trying to be repaired and sput, 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 sputtering into life momentarily. So we know that's going to be the chink in this, and the copious plot armor that exists here. No, I wasn't entirely convinced by the plan. It doesn't seem to be very well thought out. But then again, they only had a few days to decide to do it before the nuclear detonation, didn't they, sir? But the helicopter is their only means of escape. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a weak point, all, isn't it? Really, pin all your hopes on whether or not you're interested in the money or the head of the alpha zombie's wife. Yeah, doesn't really matter. If you want to get out of there, you have to have a working helicopter. You do, yeah, yeah, and it's not working. It seems, yeah, amazing that you wouldn't have thought to check. That she makes the point, the helicopter drive, she, drive. She's like saying, look, I'm the most important person here, kind of thing. I'm, I'm number one <laughs> in the hierarchy. And a very good point. I think they should have fixed the helicopter before they angered the zombies or tried to <laughs> or tried to steal the money. Now, the second weird thing in the heist was that they're all carrying tanks of gasoline or something. Some of it is for the helicopter. And some of it is for the backup generator that Scott Ward goes to to turn the lights on in the casino. I wondered, and I didn't do the sums, how long you could expect a backup generator to run on a backpack worth of gas, given that it seemed to be running the entire casino. Right. Uh... (laughs) Hundreds of fruit machines... Well, can we assume there's a good two gallons in that backpack? Okay, yeah. So that would drive... That's 70 miles of a BMW. So two hours of a BMW, a fairly low power, you know, 20% of its actual speeding power kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. It probably could power a small municipal hall, all the lighting and the heating for about an hour, I think. Fair enough. You know, a meeting room for 150 people, 200 people. But that's about it. <laughs> Not an entire casino. <laughs> no, no, no. I, and, I mean, these days, I don't know. I mean, the slot machines are LED. I'm sorry, they're, 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 what are they? LCD screens, aren't they? They replicate. Oh, they're full computers, yeah. But they're still a good 50 watts each, since, you know, so. They must be. Minimal. So, yeah, good points there. Yeah. But the biggest plot hole, if you like, for me, I, I don't know, maybe it's not a plot hole. Scott's daughter for some reason, thinks there might be a hope that the women that went into Las Vegas are still alive. For some reason, she assumes that they've been captured by the Alphas. And so she wanders over the road to the Olympus Casino where the Alphas hang out to try to find them. As a consequence of her going over there to do that, Scott, obviously, has got to go and rescue his daughter. And as a consequence of that one action... Everybody dies. Yes. Tignatero, the pilot, Scott... Well, apart from the people who already died. Apart from the people who already died. But the people who were surviving at the end there... Bleeding hearts. They all die because the daughter went over to look for the women who died... But then died, Zeus turns up again, though. in the escape. I didn't like the fact that, that, I didn't like the fact that Zeus like, kind of turns up everywhere, all the time. Well, that's why they all die. Because they go over to the other hotel where Zeus is, and he jumps on the helicopter... And he makes a helicopter crash, and then the nuclear bomb goes off. But all the women she went over to rescue were dead. She ends up being the only one alive. So I guess it worked out for her okay then. Did you ever watch Airwolf as a kid? Yes, I did. Street Hawk? Knight Rider? Which was your favourite? It's not Airwolf, because, you know, helicopters (laughs) twisting and turning in the air. They're not following a road, are they? So you don't get that sense of frisson, you know. It's not Airwolf, is it? The chases in Airwolf weren't great, were they? Actually, I think my favourite was Auto Man. Don't remember that. No, you don't. Of course, is that one of the genre? It was in the genre. Yeah, yeah. They had a guy. They had a screen guy back in the base talking to him stuff. But he he had a car, a jetpack, which I I think could turn ninety degrees instantaneously. Oh, that's a bit icky. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) That's all kinds of physics laws being circumvented. Like a computer graphic, like d- I, th- I suppose you thought that Knight Rider was perfectly realistic. Hey, I did as a kid, yeah. But anyway, so I never found Airwolf satisfying because those chases. I mean, Red Bull do that thing now, don't they? Where they have that kind of that three D kind of the skiing poles in the sky you've got to fly through. Yeah, yeah. Is it the Red Bull I Air Race? Air Race, yeah. and that kind of like I think they put streamers in the in the sky and balloons and stuff, so you kind of get the track, and that's much better like that. Yeah. So Airwolf wasn't satisfied for that reason. And here we get one moment where they kind of lift over the wall as they're escaping the containers. Mm, yeah. And that's good, you know. You really see why you really see how, how the director's making the helicopter work as a as a piece of cinema. But what I would say, if you're gonna do this stuff, there's one 
cinematic universe where helicopters always work, and that's James Bond, you know. Hanging from the helicopter, helicopters banging into each other, you know, punching each other to get out of the cockpit. I mean, James Bond does helicopters well. He and does I would rec- helicopter, yeah, They've got, no they got 90 million to spend. I would have recommended they spent £500,000 and got the the guy set up the helico- helicopter stunts in any James Bond movie to come along and just, just make the helicopter work. Because it doesn't particularly work here. They do some great shots of the helicopter flying through Las Vegas. Yeah, but he kind of... What is he, what is, I'm going to see Stewie jumps on the helicopter, gets knocked out, and then gets killed. Is that right? Or... You know, at no point does he take the controls, you know, like in James Bond, the helicopter cuts out and we're plunging down again and then, got to get back to the controls. Oh, no, I can't quite reach. Somebody's dragging me down. You know, all that stuff that you see in James Bond. I thought we could have done a bit more of that. The whole helicopter escape was ruined because that Scott's daughter had killed them all anyway. True, yeah. Meanwhile, down in the vault, Ludwig's final action before they get eaten by whatever alpha zombie is there, is to push Van, Van der Ho into the vault and lock it. So he yeah. is still alive. No, there's a nuclear explosion about to go off. Yeah, but he's in the bank vault or the casino lead. vault. He's in thick lead, yeah. So he's fine. And he pops out after the explosion with a couple of bags of money, the richest man in Vegas at that point. He goes to the nearest airport, working airport, and he buys himself a private jet to fly out of there. But unfortunately, he's feeling he's a bit bitten. peaky on the jet, and he goes into the bathroom. And yes, he's been bitten. It turns out he's been bitten. So there's an allegory working there, isn't there? He's about to land in Mexico, and he's going to infect everyone in Mexico with the Delta variant of the, of the, the zombie, zombie virus. alpha virus. Okay, best semi-humorous quote of the movie was the pilot saying, "Was that a zombie in a goddamn cape?" Yes, it was. It was Zeus himself. I quite liked it. There were some humorous little one-liners uh, and some some nice little one-dimensional characterization. I like the fact you could tell what the characters are going to do according to how they've been very singularly dimensionalized. Yeah. So so the end is everybody dies apart from that bloke in the in the safe and the bloke uh, the girl that gets out with all the money. Yeah. No, she doesn't get out with any money, does she? Oh Christ! Just with her life, I think. But. Zach's left it open for a sequel because he can do a time loop where we do it all again with a more elaborate heist <laughs> without his daughter being so annoying. It doesn't get as far. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, I, I don't know what they're thinking with the time loop there, the, the fact that to be in the time loop but they've already escaped it and yet for remnants of the old time loops would still be visible. I don't know what's going on there at all. Anyway, answers on a postcard if you don't mind. So, did you like the splatter, the gore fest, the splatter fest that this movie was? There was a I lot did. of I gore. It was yeah, pretty satisfying. Good, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, heads being destroyed, heads being jaws splattered. coming off, jaws yeah. being yeah ripped apart. It was just so gory. The sounds that went with it were really good. So, exploding zombies everywhere, zombie horse, zombie tiger, fabulous, really. So, I guess we're there, aren't we? It's time to we give are. our scores. Let's talk about acting. The least important thing about this movie, I thought, was the acting. I mean, it's fast enough, it's bright enough, it's it's furious enough just to for the acting to be perfunctory. I think the acting is quite acting is quite good, but I never actually paid attention to it. So I'm going to score it a seven. What do you think of the foreheads? Because Dave Batista, ex wrestler, of course, yeah, I think he's pretty good actually, but he's got a very wrinkly scalp, doesn't he? He's so muscled that the skin on his scalp is kind of corrugated. Did they do that on purpose to make him look more street? I don't know. I don't know. Did you like his forehead, though? Any any foreheads of note? No. <laughs> I was thinking about my obsession with foreheads. And it comes, I think, from when I, when, I, when, I was, when I was a teacher and we had some kids with giant foreheads and we used to measure them. Because, of course, <laughs> malnutrition will cause a big forehead. But it wasn't. They just had huge caveman-like heads and we were just fascinated with them. I'm sorry if you were one of the children whose who's, who's head I put a tape measure around, me and my colleagues. I'm really sorry about that. You were probably confused and wondering what you were doing in the staff room, be having your head measured. But Malnutrition causes big Yeah, hydro, hydroencephaly. Correct me, listeners, on the actual... Oh, wow. You must have seen it, the kids with the kind of swollen heads. I think the acting in this was good. As you say, the characters were all re- really differentiated. Right. But very one-dimensionally, and actually almost zero-dimensional. They were just reduced to a point, I think. You, you kind of knew exactly who was. They were very concretely represented, is what I'm saying, this character. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I'll give it a seven for the acting. For what you see is what you get, yeah. How about now the plot? <laughs> I mean, there's some nice touches here. The unusual zombie types and the mythology about them and having a zombie baby. Do you not think a time loop that's thrown in there and not pursued is unforgivable? I don't know. The chances are Zach, yeah, the Zach Stanley might do something with it. It made the fans quite interested, but yeah, it seems a weird thing to shoehorn in. It didn't need it. What about Tanaka is a godlike boss level sort of deus ex machina? Well, that's what they're suggesting because yeah. he would have to be behind the time loop theory. But yeah, so the idea is he wants to get the head so he sends them all in to get the money, which means somebody can get the head more easily. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense, does it? Why what don't about the differently all... abled Zeus? So at the beginning of the movie, literally moves faster than the speed of light. He can dodge bullets. At the end, he's kind of just like really fast and really powerful. Paul, do you think that bullets go at the speed of light? Is that why? Faster than a moving bullet. Wasn't there a, you know, a superhero that could do that? Was... But bullets don't go at the speed of light. I know, but light. He, he was literally moving way faster than bullets and appearing behind people at incredible speed who were like half a mile away the next second kind of thing is what I'm saying I think he's just faster than the speed of dark Paul which is fast but not as fast as light but did you not think there's a difference in his abilities as the movie progressed was it consistent with the zombies because at the beginning of the movie he's like oh, be quiet he's hunting us and they literally don't make a sound he's half a mile away and then half a second later they're both dead yeah whereas towards the end of the movie They've attacked him and his horde, and he's gone to a different place. I mean, he could just sniff and see where they were, couldn't he? But he doesn't do that. He chooses not to do that. I just found that a little bit unsatisfying, is what I'm saying. So I'll give it a five for plot. What about the allegorical elements? The allegorical thunk pieces? Was it thunk enough? It did stuff about refugee camps, didn't it? Yeah. And it's maybe trying to say something about, well, Paul, about people like you gambling, you know, mindlessly. I thought it was pitch well. I thought it was pitched yeah. well. The thunkness, the thunkness of the of, of the thunking was about right for a zombie movie. Nothing too taxing, um, but not not embarrassingly trite either. So I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna upmark that and therefore give a six for plot. Ah, uh-huh. okay. You're edging it on the on the the thinkiness of it. Is this a scary movie? <sighs> oh, can we just do gore instead? Satisfying right. splat splat level. Does this not come into special effects? Oh, it does, yeah. Oh, gosh, difficult quandary here. Okay, let's do splat and special effects, first of all. Fine. Well, for that, I think it does well. Fabulous. Yeah. Well worth the ridiculous amount of money that was spent on it. So, I'll give it an eight. I'm going to give it a nine. Ooh. Now, there were some jump scares. I suppose it's trying to make tension, though. It's really an action movie, not... Okay, action and tension and jump scares, final category. Yeah, okay, okay. I will give it an 8, but it was really slow to start and slow in a not very useful way, so I'm going to downscore it to 6 and say just that. I'll give it a 7. I think it's I think it's above average. It's got some nice helicopter work. You didn't like it, but I thought it was good. I like I the whirring sounds. Really, really nice helicopter whirring sounds. I think people have done some scientific analysis of what makes a hit movie. And one uh... of the elements of a hit movie is the location. Location should be considered as important as the characters. Yeah. It, in a sense, is one of the characters you cast in your movie as a location. And I really enjoy Las Vegas as a location, and I really loved what they did with it all. So, so potential upscore here. Uh, no, I'm going to stick with a seven, though. But let's talk about an overall score, then. 7.5 for me. I'll give it an eight on the basis of some yeah. potential promise with time loops and Zack Snyderiness. I didn't like that. That's not the reason I'm getting seven point five. But a good score nonetheless. Seven point five is pretty. He's high probably going to recut it or something, and there's probably going to be a sequel. Yeah, there's plenty of potential here. Just one thing to say: isn't there a poem about friendly bombs come fall on Slough? Yes, there is. That's a Betjeman poem, isn't it? It is, yeah. Well, they got the location wrong. They fall on Las Vegas. I, that's, that's one thing I liked with his direct, directorial abilities was I, I got that real sense of moment as silently the bombs launched and they're flying hmm. out kind of platoon style on a helicopter as the bomb hits. That was nice. There's some really nice directorial touches here. Oh, yeah. Zack Snyder's definitely got a style all of his own. Yeah. Hey, what are we going to do next week, Paul? 
Well, whew. you know, this had allegorical elements, but what about a movie with biblical allegorical elements? How would you like that, Richard? Namely, no capitalization on the first letter here, but Mother! Exclamation mark from 2017, starring, among other people, Michelle Pfeiffer. That's your first choice. Well, finally, you're going to pitch in for this movie I keep suggesting, are you? Wait a minute. These are other choices. Hashtag Alive, which is more of zombie and Netflix. So, take your pick. Oh, I'm not doing more zombies. We can do zombies perhaps shortly. But let's let's do Mother. Okay, let's do Mother. Okay. Biblical allegory. Here we come. This is Darren Aronofsky. Yes. I think it's weird enough to uh, to cleanse the palate. <laughs> So, that's episode 49. Paul, we're nearly at 52, one year of this podcast. Mm. Which leaves in a quandary. Well, on the 52nd episode, all aspects of lockdown in the UK will have ended. This is a yeah. lockdown series edition, limited edition of movie reviews. So, it, it begs the question, Richard, are we going to continue? I don't know, but what we should do on episode 52 is have to a summarise everything that we've learnt from uh, all the movies that we've uh, reviewed. Uh, uh, I mean, you're, you're casting this in terms of progress. I'm casting this in terms of <laughs> the podcast was there to stop deterioration and decay. And how did we do? <laughs> Pretty well, I would say. That during some weeks, it's been the only activity my brain has had. Oh. Hmm. Well, that's an honour then. Well, let's see what kind of activity Mother promotes next week. So join us then for episode 50, is it not? It is. Until then, bye for now. Thank you.